You can support this podcast at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. Moms wear lots of hats with phones keeping them connected to everyone. Whether communicating with teachers, family members, or coworkers, moms can always be counted on to be a step ahead. Likewise, you need a provider that you can rely on. Total Wireless. With nationwide coverage on America's largest and most dependable networks, unlimited talk and text starting at just $35 a month, and family plans starting at $25 a month, Total Wireless offers first-class, affordable service. Go to TotalWireless.com to learn more. Hey, Kevin. Hey, Rebecca. I don't know if you know this, but our Patreon supporters have really been stepping it up. They have. We have had since, uh, well, I, I'm starting to think of things like in quarters. <laughs> you like should it, because like business this code. is your job. This is Q1. <laughs> and since since uh, late December, beginning of the year, we've had several large Patreon supporters come on board. They large? Large, yes, at the $10 a month plus <gasps> level. Ooh. They include B. Horton, Lonnie Diane Rich, Ooh, Lonnie. Hillary Kimbrell, Sarah Langless, Natalie DeLube, Evram Azen. I talked to Evram on Twitter and like I told her I was totally going to destroy her name. <laughs> and she's like, you know, it's very easy. It's Evram Azen. It's got like so many different like accents over the vowels and consonants. She knows how white we are, though, she, right? Yes, she did. She, I, I've already <laughs> apologized profusely. Evram Azen, Amy Turner as well. Plus, we've had 36 other new patrons giving between one and and $10 each month to help this podcast. So maybe someday we'll get to be a grown-up company doing grown-up things of our patrons. Yes or no? Yes, maybe. I'm really excited about that, aren't you? I am, and they help do things like start, start the, the show. show. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On, the podcast about other podcasts and also about journalism, pop culture, true crime. And this week, we have a shocking true crime update from last week's podcast, plus the reboot of a true crime podcast favorite, Breakdown. Plus, we'll have a bit of a therapy session on the conclusion of the Missing Richard Simmons podcast, Spoiler alert, I don't think it's going to be a unanimous decision in the therapy session that we're going to be having. So joining me right now is the host of These Are Their Stories, Law and Order podcast, my true crime co-author and real-life husband, Kevin Flynn. Good evening, Kevin. Becca, I'm just, before we have a marital spat, I just want you to know that my cocktail is my responsibility, <laughs> and your cocktail is not my responsibility, okay? I don't know what you're talking wow. about, but that sounds uh, dire or something. <sighs> I'm just saying, before it becomes an issue. Also joining us is journalist, true crime author, former defense investigator, licensed PI, and feline aficionado, Laura Bricker. Hello, Laura. Hello. And rounding out the panel is the very talented noir novelist and expert. He's the Paul Manafort, I would say, of Doubting Thomases, wouldn't you? <laughs> Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. Dos Vidania. <laughs> That was culturally appropriate, Toby. I was trying. I want to just say one programming note from our listeners, because I think last week we gave it a, a mixed message, and since then we've made a plan. Okay. Uh, on Tuesday, the serial spinoff S-Town will drop all seven of its episodes. We don't want everyone to try and listen to the whole thing before next weekend. We also don't want to have to yeah, listen to the whole thing next yeah, weekend. Yeah. So we did come up with a little bit of a plan. On Tuesday night... 
probably late Tuesday night, we are going to drop a special quasi-short episode in which we're going to give our analysis of S-Town episode one. So once you listen to episode one, stop. You won't have to wait too long for our take. And then for our show coming out Saturday, April 1st, we're going to talk about S-Town episodes two, three, and four. And then on our April 8th show, a week later, we're going to discuss episodes Five, six, and seven of S Town. So, so we're breaking up S Town over three different episodes. Three different episodes: right. the premiere, and then two through four, and then five through seven. So we can all savor. Let's just be honest. Yeah. A lot of our listeners are going to listen to all seven. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, we are just not committing to do that in like a one day period and then turning around a long podcast. Yeah. <laughs> so we're breaking it up a little bit. So uh, we're excited about our plan, and we hope you guys will follow along with us. We are going to cover the entirety. Of S Town in like basically a one week period, which if you're making a podcast in your basement, it's kind of an achievement, I would say, right? Yeah, basically over ten days, we're going to have three episodes. <laughs> I think so on these, I think this bodes this bodes well for me because I listen to this when I'm like at the gym and I'm using their little massage bed. So you know, I see a lot of massaging in my future. You're turning into one of those people who like brings every reference back to the gym, Laura. And I got to say, I as like a newly um, <laughs> a newly minted kind of fat person, I'm really jealous of that right now. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, no. don't say that. You can you can come to the massage minted. bed too, Rebecca. All right. Well, I will uh, look for that free pass in the mail. <laughs> All right. Well, I do want to start this week's podcast with a huge piece of news that came out between last week's podcast and this week's podcast. Kevin, can you please just read this for me? Yep. True crime <laughs> update. <laughs> I was tickled there in the middle. You were. Last week, we recommended that you watch the HBO documentary Tickled about a production company that shoots videos of men tickling each other and about the bizarre trail of deception and bullying that really turned out to be a documentary about a true crime. The reaction from our listener to the documentary is pretty much the same reaction that we had on uh, Twitter, on Facebook, and an email. We've seen it over and again, which is basically... WTF. WTF did it, I just watch? It was... <laughs> the People were nonplussed in the dictionary definition of right. the word. They could not take any more. <laughs> they don't know right. what the hell they saw. That's exactly how we felt. Yeah. What was that? But in case you have not watched Tickled, and we did bend over backwards last week to not spoil the documentary, there is a multimillionaire mastermind, evil, maybe genius behind the whole mystery that is part of the Tickled documentary. And... Um, Suddenly, like the day after our podcast dropped, we got emails that uh, there was a New York Times obituary that this person, David D'Amato, had died. <laughs> so it's That's it's not funny. It's kind of a, a big twist. No, I say it's not funny, except that it's so weird, right? It yes, yeah. yeah I, I'm not laughing like ha ha. I'm laughing like holy shit. It's just the latest weird twist to go on in this story. So. The thing that happened was that we were tweeted this link to this obituary, and it was the New York Times Legacy.com obituary, and it says that David DeMano, the millionaire mastermind who was likely behind the video operation that was hidden behind that production company and tickled, had, quote, died suddenly at age 55 in what may be the final shocking twist of this story. So, quote, died suddenly. That is obituary lingo. And, Kevin, as a uh, person who worked in the media for many years, what does died suddenly typically mean? It can mean a lot of things, but often it is used when the decedent has taken their own life. Now, we don't know that yeah, because there has been nothing shown in any other publication more about the manner or cause 
of his death. He's 55. He wasn't in the best shape, so you don't know. Right. Um, but given everything that we've seen about him as a character, it is not wrong to wonder if that, given all the other circumstances, if that's the actual cause of his death. Well, I don't know if it's right or wrong to wonder it, but it certainly is a his whole persona is shrouded in mystery, right? Yeah, yeah, that's part of the problem. Now, Laura, I got an, a personal email and a few tweets this week basically asking me the question. David D'Amato, as we've seen in the documentary Tickled, is behind like a really long series of elaborate internet deceptions. Mm-hmm. He know, He's sophisticated with computer technology. It's still an unanswered question in my mind. And there's a lot going on there. And somebody actually asked me the question, um, any chance that D'Amato is uh, faking his own death here and this obituary is not legit? Did that cross your mind at all? I'm curious because I know that you're sort of the uh, Nancy Drew conspiracy theorist in this panel. That didn't. Um, I just thought, wow, this is just, you know, like you said, so bizarre, the timing. I mean, it was like you almost couldn't make this up. Faking one's death and getting an obituary notice is hard. I will say I've had some experience with this lately. And um, before newspapers will publish an obituary, they will actually call the funeral director to confirm that this person is actually dead. So it would be pretty hard, I think, for him to have faked his death. And I honestly... I don't see him as sophisticated in terms of being able to do that. I just see him really as a bully um, from what I saw of him in the show. Now, Toby, I know that you have, you know, historically on this podcast had concerns about the sort of lynch mob mentality that can occur when like, you know, documentarians and podcasters point to someone as a villain. Do you think that David D'Amato's death could be tied to this movie Tickled? I mean, do you see connections here that disturb you? Or do you think this is just a, a circumstance that happened that's sort of in line with the story and maybe not a result of this documentary? I'm just curious to know your thoughts. Well, the documentary's been out for a while, right? Yeah, it has. Like, since the summer, at least, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, that, that seems like, I mean, we don't even know how he died. That's true. So, I mean, I, I guess I wouldn't go that far. It is hard to okay. speculate, and we are, you know, trying to psychoanalyze somebody that we don't really know. But to the original question about whether or not there is the um, the idea that you know the lynch mob mentality, you know, the collateral damage from real time podcasting and, and making documentaries about nefarious deeds. I mean, you do run into the chance that maybe you point to the wrong guy, or maybe you put pressure on the wrong person, or the wrong kind of pressure. And, you know, the natural systems that are supposed to take over and deal with that aren't allowed to because of some unnatural interference. Right. Like if he got tickled to death, perhaps? (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Potentially. So, Kevin, uh, you saw much more of D'Amato in a video uh, when he came to Los Angeles screening of of the documentary Tickled and a a much different side of the person that was portrayed as a litigious online bully. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, Did anybody else see the either online or on HBO, the film from the the short supplemental film? So one of the uh, not the reporter, but the uh, his partner uh, was there at the Los Angeles screening. And at least two people showed up. One was David D'Amato and the other guy was Kevin, who was, you may remember, was the white-haired gentleman who went down to New Zealand and was very belligerent. And uh, we got to see interactions, Kevin mostly, uh, I saw like a 50-minute cut of this, arguing in the lobby about different things that happened and was, you know, very much of the kind of 
demeanor and tone that we, we saw in all these letters and sort of the the nastiness that you, you felt in the way that that company was operating. They finally got to David D'Amato, who was sitting in the theater with a fucking box of popcorn, uh. just sitting there. He was very calm and cordial, and he did say something like, you know, you're going to need a lawyer, a criminal lawyer, you should talk to somebody. But he wasn't... He he wasn't the over the top visceral bully that either uh, I felt Kevin was or that you know that we see from that organization. He was uh, much more calm. He was gentlemanly in some to some extent. Courtly it is a little surprising. The whole thing is a little weird, and I will just say I don't want to get too far into the weeds because I I still think that many of our listeners probably have not watched documentary Tickled. Uh, but they should. But they should. It's not the greatest documentary in the world, but you will w- turn it off and say, what the hell was that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. But kind of in a good way, in like a way that will make you want to mm-hmm. talk about it, and in a way that will make the whole five minutes of content <laughs> yeah. you just listened to make a lot more sense, it's right? It's like you just like watch The Wall, and you're like, what was that? You're- the Wall? <laughs> yeah. Pink Floyd's The Wall. Yeah. Oh, I thought you yeah. meant that that new game show, The Wall, with the adorable oh, was... Chris Hartwick. That show's great. Yeah, well, you might watch that and say, what the hell was that, too? But again, <laughs> completely different. I have no idea what you're talking about. So we actually do have another thing that I want to cover in the first half of this episode before we get into what I know will be a very in-depth and interesting discussion about the finale of Missing Richard Simmons. And that is the return of another tried and true, well-trod True Crime Podcast. Kevin, can you please uh, read this for me? True Crime Podcast Update. All right. Surprise, surprise. The perennial True Crime Podcast from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution Breakdown made a surprise return this week with its third season. Now, instead of focusing on a homicide investigation and the breakdown in the Georgia court system, this season will apparently explore a breakdown with the state's regulatory system in the medical profession. The title of the season is Predator MD. It dives into the case of a doctor accused of abusing his female patients, and it will ask why he was still allowed to practice medicine for a long time before this investigation came to a head. Now, the first question I have, and uh, I'm going to direct this at you, Laura. I don't know if you listened to all of the first episode of the new season of Breakdown, but all I could think the whole time was, I really miss Bill Rankin. Did you miss Bill Rankin in this uh, season of Breakdown, Laura? I did, because, I mean, this definitely felt a lot more like the voice was somebody that sounded like maybe they had been on radio before or they had tried to make their voice a little bit more what you would expect to hear. You know, Bill Rankin was just so conversational, and then he'd throw in these little funny little quips here and there, and there was just something about his delivery that I really liked because it was, you know, it was kind of slow, and then every once in a while, you know, he'd throw something in that you had. It was just the way that he talked, you really felt like you kind of, I don't say you knew him, but it was just, I enjoyed listening to it. And this was definitely, I felt like a lot more polished right off the bat. Well, what's funny is that Johnny Edwards, who's the investigative reporter behind this season of Breakdown, comes out with this caveat that like, I'm no Bill Rankin. Yes, he does sound more, I think, radio friendly than Bill Rankin. Yeah. But I think Bill Rankin's lack of radio friendliness is kind of what makes Breakdown good. I mean, it's kind mm-hmm. of like it's a newspaper doing a podcast. You have a newspaper reporter being really transparent about the fact that he's not a radio person. 
And now you have a newspaper person who kind of sounds like a radio person doing a podcast saying it's not a podcast because he's not a radio person. Kevin, did you have that same sort of like delivery discord that I had? A, a, a little bit. And I, I'm with Laura that I do miss Bill Rankin's homespun kind of talk. And as I'm thinking about this, you know, it's like, well, is it even fair to brand this breakdown? Because I think we so closely associate the hosts slash narrators with the actual podcast that even when you go into different seasons, that if you mix that up, it becomes different. I think that there's no way that S-Town could ever be passed off as Serial Season 3 because it's Brian Reed who's the host mm-hmm. and it's not Sarah Koenig. But, you yeah. know, it makes it's it's smart to build off the breakdown brand. Well, yeah, as somebody who works at a newsletter, I can say, like, I would not spin off a new feed. Like, I would mm-hmm. say this is Breakdown Season 3. I think that I would say, if I were the one writing the intro to this podcast, like, this is Breakdown. The past two seasons, Bill Rankin has been your host. I'd be more transparent. I would say, we want to bring more of our investigative reporting mm-hmm. to the podcast world, so we're going to, like, bring to you this other story we've been covering. Bill made, did make a cameo explaining that he'd be, I'll be back for season four. You know, know. just like, it was like, oh, that's so nice. <laughs> <laughs> he's like the most charming person in the entire world, right? Yeah, which is part of it. He, he's very smart and got great analysis and that's kind of what Bill makes it. I Bill to be it. my like brother or dad. So that, that's, to, <laughs> to me starting off, that's just, you know, one of the differences between what we're going to see in season three. The next one is just the nature of the case and the crime. It's not a homicide. It's not a trial. It's not the courts. And it's just a different kind of case. Now, Toby, um, this case is more, I think, I want to say traditional true crime because it's very victim focused, like people having been done wrong by a serial perpetrator. Right. Do you feel like it is a good or bad or interesting departure to go in from this system-based breakdown story to now a victim-slash-perpetrator-based breakdown story. It's a very different kind of story, right? Well, I think the first the first episode was, but it sounded to me like the direction it was headed in was, you know, the breakdown within the medical system that allowed this guy to continue practicing. It's funny. It fits with breakdowns theme. It, it yeah. reminded me a lot of a case we had here in New Hampshire. Which and case sure is that? Guys, that would be the Hep C case yes. um, oh, in yeah. Exeter, the Quitkowski uh, Kwiatkowski case and it was this is exactly what I was thinking of as I was listening to this first episode what what Toby was just saying it was like a breakdown in tracking this doctor who's moving from like Ohio to Atlanta molesting women and this case we had here in New Hampshire was a med tech who was stealing medicine at various jobs but there was no oversight so he just kept getting new jobs in different states and when they finally caught him and traced it back, there was this huge trail, much like we've seen teased um, in the first episode of this case. So it was really kind of a breakdown of the reporting system and and sort of the oversight. I think it's difficult for any of these podcasts for us to fall in love in the first episode. Is it difficult, though? I think there are a couple we have, but I would say that, for me, Serial uh, and Crime Town and In the Dark, I think... By the time we got into sort of the, the rhythm of the second episode, I kind of like, okay, I see where we're going. I'm I'm invested in the story now. And I think that right. it, this was a problem with the first episode. Well, I'm going to throw this out there because I, I think that when you said that just now, you're sort of anticipating my critique. I feel like you may have jumped the gun. Oh, well, go ahead. What is your critique? Go ahead. <laughs> I think they have an interesting story here. Mm-hmm. But I was really turned off by the first episode of Breakdown Season 3. 
I was turned off because I feel like they laid too many cards on the table in this first episode. There were a couple of things that bothered me. One was I feel like we kind of got the whole story in the first episode. But did we? Well, I'm sure there are more details about how it happened. I feel like the reporter, Johnny Edwards, used some language that was editorial in nature. He called this person a predator. He he said things that like, sort of struck me as something that a reporter, even someone who had all the information, like just specific adjectives that like really great reporters wouldn't use. But then also there was the sort of the use of sound and, um, you know, the montage of like sort of victim testimony, which was yeah. an editorial choice. I just kind of feel like there was too much here that didn't make me necessarily want to listen to episode two. And I very rarely feel that way. And it sounds like from the weird noises that Toby (laughs) and Laura are making that I may not be alone. Toby, what do you think? Yeah, no, I I totally agree with you about, uh, you know, his characterizations. The facts kind of speak for themselves. You know, when you've got a doctor who allegedly is molesting patients who are under his care like you don't have to embellish in your description of him people understand i have to say i didn't really like the episode i didn't think sensationalizing that montage that you talked about i found bizarre and not very effective do you think there was a choice like in the audio editor's part and not like on the newspaper reporter's part it was very hard for me to sort of tell I don't know. I mean, it sounds like the kind of thing that if you were in like eighth grade and you wanted to be like, well, there's all these people, so we'll just make a montage of all their voices talking (laughs) over each other. Um, That's what it seemed like to me. So I I don't know who would come up with that. I, I listened to the whole thing. And when it was over, it sort of reminded me more of some podcasts that I'd listened to one episode of at various times and just found that the tone was really off putting to me. Mm -hmm. And, uh, that was kind of my overall impression of this. Which is surprising from Breakdown, right? Because Breakdown has been so straight here too far. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I'm a little surprised that the Atlanta Journal-Constitution would would sort of condone that kind of characterization of somebody who they're doing a story on. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can't imagine reading that in the newspaper. Mm. What about you, Laura? Do you you feel similarly? I hear you also making the... Uh, the yes. uh, <laughs> okay, go ahead. Yeah, no, I definitely, as I was listening to it, I was like, wow, he's certainly um, drawing some conclusions and sort of jumping right out there with some opinions that, like you said, I was like, hmm, that's interesting. And for me, I, I agree with you, Rebecca. He, he threw everything out. It, you know, the whole story is out there in the first episode. So what was missing for me was that sort of suspense of where is this story going to go next that we've seen with some other recent podcasts that end on like a great cliffhanger or great tease to the next episode and with this one I'm like what's the next episode more victims like not to diminish what they went through but it didn't leave me with like something hanging like "Ooh, I have to know what happens next unless he's going to you know flesh out a little bit more one thing I did pick up on was that the newspaper covered it when it happened and then they didn't cover it again and that is often a pet peeve of mine and I don't know about you guys but you know something will happen and then unfortunately as newsrooms now are shrinking and they don't have as much manpower Sometimes they're not following up on cases, so they, you never do see the resolution in the newspaper. So maybe this is a breakdown of the media. But I, I definitely was left feeling like I don't feel like there's 
enough suspense here to make me like, ooh, next week. I mean, I'll probably listen to it if I'm driving around and try one more episode, but it just didn't have as much compelling pull going on for me. Now, this seems like a case that's already been reported, vetted, tried, adjudicated, and like we know the reporter is even is so comfortable saying, you know, he's a predator, he's this, he's that, that... It's the name of the series. Right. What did you think, Kevin? Well, I think everybody had to sign off on the name of the series, Predator MD, and it seems to be part of a larger reporting project that they're doing about sex abuse and the medical profession. So I'm sure they've looked at many stories and for some reason felt this one was worth highlighting. I think maybe to your point and to Toby's point, I do appreciate the higher production value in this season with some more music and transitions and and, and whatnot. I think it does add to it. I don't think it takes away. That's just my opinion. I'd like to see where it goes because maybe we do know everything from episode one, but there are some stories that take lots of different twists and turns that you can't anticipate. So I would like to see where that goes. So you are going to listen to more of Breakdown season three. I'm ambivalent. Are you a no, Toby, on this? I don't plan on listening. However, if you guys come back in a couple of weeks and are like, hey, it's really gotten good, you know, I'll check it out. Is that how you feel, Laura? Too ambivalent? Yeah. I mean, you know, something else. Obviously, S-Town's coming out next week. So that's what I'm really looking forward to. Right. Um, I'll probably try one more episode of this and see where it goes. But I'm not as enthused about it as some of the other ones we've listened to recently. And you, Kevin? Yeah, I- I'm going to give it a Jake because Breakdown has been so solid. It's before. one of our favorites. It, it is. It is. And, you know, what's really interesting interesting again like I said we're not talking about a cold case we're not talking about a homicide we're talking about a different kind of crime about the exploitation of patients and I know I don't know about you I know like when I go to the doctor I feel very vulnerable standing there in my underwear of course I'd feel better if I had gone wearing my undies me undies me undies oh you said it wrong it's me undies me undies oh my god you know I want to elevate my underwear game to the next level which is why I'm going to use me undies I've been waiting for this sponsor for a long time you know why why because me undies is like you've made it when you've got me undies and it may be weird coming out of like a, a podcast about sex abuse to me undies me undies are awesome yeah We've made it. We have made it. Suckmyd.com. Oh. <laughs> no, we're digging nice. that out. I know. I wanted to Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I pulled up their website. Me Undies? They've got Panda Bear underwear, Toby. I didn't yeah. even realize that they were a sponsor until just this second. <laughs> <laughs> That's the magic of our podcast. Yeah. Well, look, first of all, they're seriously soft. They are actually about three times softer than cotton underwear. They come in great styles, your classic colors or some bold shades, but also very adventurous patterns. They've got like this desert print and this one with spring and butterflies. And it's one of the best parts is that for him and her, you can get matching sets. (laughs) I don't want that. (laughs) No, I actually kind of like the Lulu row legging of underwear. It's the sock club for your... (laughs) (laughs) what does bill burr always say keeps your nice and dry me undies undies, that's right does the same for your oh stop it stop it we're not including any of that me undies is uh designed in los angeles and it's made from sustainably sourced micro modal 
Modal. Modal? Yeah. See, they got it like spelled like a, a really weird way. M-O-D-A-L? Yeah, but then modal. the pronouncer is modal. Maybe that's, like, maybe I don't that's think how it's Maybe I've been spelling it wrong. Maybe I don't I've learned know. It's, it's spelled like that. I got to I gotta get on the phone. They they make great underwear. So MeUndies, are, like I said, are super soft and like great patterns and a lot of fun. What you do is you sign up and they'll send you another great pair of MeUndies each month. And you can save time and money just by opting in for the monthly subscription. But if you're not ready to commit to every month getting another great pair of underwear why because like that pair of tidy whities that you've thrown on the floor is like doing such wonderful work in your life <laughs> look I-, I have to say i will wear a pair of underwear till there's like nothing left but the waistband i can tell I- you that is true and it's yeah. disgusting yeah I-, I really need me undies in my life so even if you don't want to go in for the long haul of like one clean pair of underwear a month you know, like your mother would want you to do. You can still save money because MeUndies is offering 20% off your first pair when you use our special URL, MeUndies.com slash crime. Crime! Yeah, so go ahead and revamp your underwear drawer. You deserve it. Once again, that's MeUndies.com slash crime for 20% off your first pair. Now, someone who's been listening to podcasts and it's like the days before podcasts were cool. Mm-hmm. Honestly, when you've got MeUndies, you've made it. I'm sorry. We've made it. We're going to hang it up. All we need is Squarespace, and then we've really made it. And then we will have really <laughs> made it. How about MailKimp? Yeah, we never had MailKimp. And we apron. use MailKimp. We have, well, our other show has Blue Apron. Yes. <laughs> Are we good? Your other MeUndies? show's got Blue Apron? Yes. It does. So what else you got, Kevin? Well, as uh, we know, moms wear lots of hats. They're decision makers, financiers, managers, and master multitaskers. And, of course, these days, phones function as more than just phones. There are means of staying connected to family, friends, and coworkers, and they're an important part of our daily lives. That's why you need a provider who can keep up with you. You need Total Wireless. With nationwide coverage on America's largest and most dependable networks, it truly is a lifeline. Plus, it's affordable. Unlimited talk and text with 5 gigabytes of 4G LTE plus data. It starts at just $35 a month. Plus, a family plan starts at $25 per line for unlimited talk and text. And you can even add 3 gigabytes of shared carryover data that doesn't expire for just another $10. So there's a ton of smartphones to choose from, like the iPhone 7 or the Samsung Galaxy S6. Or if you're like me, you already have a phone and you're happy with it, you keep it, keep your own number, and get a no-worry 30-day plan. It's that simple. Learn more about the great plans and phone selections at TotalWireless.com. That's TotalWireless.com. TotalWireless.com. I'm really excited. Because we didn't talk about Missing Richard Simmons last week. And now we're going to talk about Missing Richard Simmons, A, the finale of it, and B, Missing Richard Simmons as a body of work. I feel like we were one of the first meta pop culture commentary media outlets to discuss Missing Richard Simmons, yes or no. Yeah, it's all thanks to us. We actually had Dan Dabrowski on our podcast. Mm -hmm. We've been in on the gravy train from the beginning. (laughs) Yes or no? The gravy train? Oh, we, we have been, yes. Yeah, we've been There's the gravy train and the bandwagon. I think I've been cut off the gravy train. <laughs> <laughs> I think you have as well. I think you have as well. Here's where we are. Missing Richard Simmons, the juggernaut podcast that has been the number one podcast in America for the last few weeks, is now over. Episodes five and six have aired. We've all listened to them. And in the end, Richard Simmons did not, in fact, jump out of the bushes and explain it all to Dan Taberski. <laughs> Surprise! 
But did Dan Taberski follow the yellow brick road and find what he was looking for all along? That's the big question hovering this week. There have been think pieces. There have been New York Times columns. And now to cap it all off is the Crime Writers on discussion of Missing Richard Simmons. I hope you're all ready for this. Now, listeners, I just want to give you a little bit of transparency. I got maybe the longest email Toby Ball has ever written in his life about Missing Richard Simmons. <laughs> but I'm going to roll it back. Yes, I'm going to roll it back a little bit. I want to talk about episode five because we didn't talk about that at all. Episode five, Dan Taberski went to New Orleans and talked to Richard Simmons' brother, Lenny, something that was teased earlier in the series and that we finally sort of got the follow through on. And we also got that look at the amazing cultural phenomenon known as the uh, Missing Richard Simmons Cruise to Lose. Laura, I want to hear your take on the entire part of episode five that was about the cruise to lose and the intensity of it, the toll on Richard Simmons and all the people who paid thousands of dollars to cruise to lose with Richard Simmons and maybe didn't quite understand that he was not, in fact, their boyfriend. What did you think of that entire narrative? Loved it. I want to go on the cruise to lose. I hope he comes back for that. Oh, my God. You know, I hear, I don't know if you guys have Sirius in your cars, but, you know, I'm always hearing these, like, bizarre cruise theme things that are going on on different stations. I'm like, who would go on that? You know, but hearing this one, it just sounded like such an interesting cast of characters from the people that were signing up to Richard Simmons. But it sounded to me, what I really, I kind of took away is this must have been so exhausting for him because he was always on it sounds like and these women like when they were giving descriptions of the women that were like panting and like practically like jumping him on this cruise ship which struck me as also a little bit odd because I I know he was very compassionate but at the same time I kind of felt like that wasn't really where his interest was um and and I I felt really kind of badly for some of these women who went on this cruise and then they came back after they'd lost weight and been inspired and he had no time for them but it just I mean who would not want to go on that cruise I think it would have been so fascinating to see the people on that ship and just see the whole scene of what was unfolding now Kevin as an entrepreneurial person who's sort of been thinking in the back of his mind about a true crime podcast cruise theme that you want to pitch to Carnival or Holland America (laughs) how did you feel about this cruise to lose themed episode of Missing Richard Simmons and and the interview with his brother. Well, okay, just I'm going to throw it out there. It is not completely made out of whole cloth that there's been talk about a crime writers on cruise. No, that's completely made out of whole cloth. No, it's not completely made out of (laughs) Maybe not just crime writers on, but if you're interested in cruising like with us and some other uh, true crime people, (laughs) it's just a seed. Let me know. We're going to do a temperature check. Um, New sponsor. New sponsor. I want Norwegian. We're just going to throw it out there. Yeah. It'd be a lot of work, though. We'd be able to relax. He's like, we're trying to drink and go swimming. We don't want to talk about Adnan Syed right now. <laughs> what was your question? I forget. My question to you was, what did you think of episode five? Of You, you like it, me, it, it, right. I thought episode five it, it was redeemed, a highlight. It redeemed the, the series, I don't, and I, I think it was really great. What was really interesting was that they were teasing episode six, and we start with episode six and the transparency of Dan saying, we threw all that shit out because so much has happened. We're not talking about episode six yet. We're talking about episode five. Okay. Talking to Lenny and the crews to lose. I thought episode five was a peak in the Missing Richard Simmons podcast. I loved episode one. I loved episode two. I loved episode three. I think we all agreed episode four was a little bit of a placeholder filling. I felt like episode five was, 
I thought it was excellent. I, I think what episode five provided was a reasonable explanation for why somebody could devote so much energy into a process, a lifestyle, and an explanation for why he could get burned out and why he could walk away. It's the only time we sort of saw something like that. Well, we got an amazing piece of foreshadowing in episode five, wherein people very close to Richard Simmons said that once women who would go on these cruise to lose is who were, the, I think, the most committed members of the Richard Simmons flock, yes mm-hmm. or no, because they yeah. not only followed yeah. the Richard Simmons lifestyle, but they also spent thousands of dollars every year to go on these cruises. When they would, in fact, reach their goal weight, like they were no longer on the Richard Simmons radar. Like they were no yeah. longer, they were just sort of out. And I think that was an interesting piece of foreshadowing I'm wondering what you thought of sort of like the narrative structure of episode five, talking to Lenny, hearing about the cruise to lose and, you know, this idea that the cruise to lose was sort of the pinnacle of Richard Simmons energy output, you know, working with basically veritable strangers in like a super close environment. I thought it was like a really great portrait of a lot of the things that we'd heard about before episode five. To me, it just sounded like a nightmare. Wait, Quite honestly, from whose perspective? Well, from the perspective of me being plopped into the middle of it potentially, but <laughs> then being also, on the same cruise. It's yeah. so fun, Toby. The buffet uh, is but then also, what the hell? It, it seems like within the context of all the episodes, that it must have been very trying for him, and that the first couple times he did it, it probably was energizing. But I think that the there's a lot of stuff coming in on him that he doesn't necessarily reflect back. Yeah. Like in my mind, the idea that you're having to face that constantly with no break and that it's just you, there's nobody else who can step into that breach at any point without it being disappointing Mm -hmm. unless it's you. So, what I, what I think was, was good about it is that it seems like a exaggerated microcosm of his life. It made sense. I mean, I think it was like a lot of parts of the podcast, the way the narrative structure set up and, and things like that. I, I think it I think it worked well. You know, Kevin and I have been on a couple of cruises with our kids, like primarily like our family vacation. Thing. Mm-hmm. We've done it twice. Do you remember, Kevin, the first time we went on a cruise as a family, there was a convention of Mennonites and Amish people on the cruise that <laughs> yes. we were on. Yeah. I mean, they were very definitely separated from the rest of the cruising yes. population. <laughs> yeah. And I think we were probably okay, safe to talk about them because there's a good chance many of them aren't downloading this podcast. <laughs> That's no, right. And I can tell you that um, my grandfather, his family was Mennonite. Really? Did yes. they go on a cruise and then like shut off the light and sit in the cabinet <laughs> cabin dark? They didn't, it? but um, you know, he kinda went out on his own and I've you know, the stories are sort of legendary, but like when his parents would come to visit, his mother would get very upset if they went out to eat because there was no need for that. Right. So yeah. we so when I was seeing this episode, all I could think about was going on like that um snorkeling excursion uh-huh. with the Mennonites and Amish people. <laughs> wearing the long Where they were uh, yeah, literally underwear. wearing <laughs> 
I mean, I'm not saying this. Good for them for trying. I'm not yeah, judging. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. That, they that's can wear gonna weigh you want. down. But you can drown. I mean, well, the whole thing was that there were like different cultures on the yeah. cruise. There was like the regular people who just like paid and were vacationing, but then there were groups mm-hmm. who were sort of together. It happens a lot of times you go on vacation. Oh, absolutely. I went to a resort and J Date was having like a big yes. convention there. You know, it thinks it, or, it happens all the time. And if you go to time. Vegas, you know, there's always some convention, right? So there's you having your normal vacation and then there's a big group of people in the same space. And there are 200 thing. women who are all in love with Richard with Simmons. Richard, and the screaming. And, and he the does war. not reciprocate um, the love, <laughs> apparently. I know, the whole thing. Well, here's the thing, it, it, to Toby's point. Look, imagine you're at a cocktail party. Right. Okay, and you're moving from, you're talking to somebody, you mm-hmm. talk for a couple minutes, and then you go and you move to somebody imagine else. Imagine I host that a person, podcast and I'm talking to you and, and I'm no, talking no, no. to someone no, else. No, you're in a room with okay. real people. You're yeah. making eye contact. Ha, ha, ha. That's very great. Okay, I'm going to go circulate. And that person's probably fine. Now, imagine being in the same room. You're Richard Simmons. You're talking to one of these followers. Think, oh, it's like, ha ha, I'm going to go circulate. That person is devastated. You know that. You you can't just suddenly just like walk away. Right. Right? Sometimes you're at the cocktail party and that person is clinging. Up. You know the feeling. Right? Imagine the whole It's just whole like doing this podcast. Oh, sh- oh <laughs> stick it in your undies. No, I know. No, no, I know. No, but no. That, I- but that is a lot of... Emotional baggage. I I have to talk to everybody. Every every time I turn my back on someone to talk to someone else, I'm crushing somebody. Right. It's like The Bachelor, but on steroids. Oh, yeah. And then you're always like, for these everybody you talk to, like it's a big moment. Right. Like you can't be off. Right. But at the same time, in that same episode, and here's why I think episode five was so brilliant. We have the conversation with Lenny, Richard Simmons' brother. He was just like a super regular guy. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. he sounds like he could be anybody's brother, Lenny. Mm-hmm. And he's like, "Yeah, we see him at holidays, and he's fine." Calls every Sunday. Calls it, which that felt like a giant shoe dropping, right, Laura? Yeah. Yeah, no, it definitely. That's when things started to kind of click more into place in terms of, you know, maybe what might be going on here. I mean, it's it's you know. He's still talking to his brother once a week. So there was more normalcy going on in his life than you thought there was. Than we've Um, been told that there was. Yeah. So it's more like, oh, maybe Richard is just setting some boundaries because he's exhausted. Right. So now at the end of episode five, we get a big, brilliantly crafted teaser about next week in which we are told... Everything I've thought about Morrow, who's Richard's masseur slash companion, who's the one who's told this alternative narrative about what's going on with Richard. Everything about Morrow has been brought into question. And we hear a teaser of Dan Taberski doing maybe a say... Uh, yeah, say anything? Yeah. Like, with the boombox? Say John anything Kunsa. like John In Cusack lowering something over the wall to Richard Simmons' house. And we hear this very dramatic thing like, and we hear this, oh my God, what is it? We hear all that stuff. And then in the couple of days after that podcast episode dropped, we see all this news, some of which we talked about in last week's episode. We see news about Richard Simmons is fine. He's pissed off about the podcast. Then there's the whole thing where the Los Angeles police go to Richard Simmons' house, another wellness check. Dan Taberski then drops episode six of Missing Richard Simmons a couple of days early and says, all the stuff you heard at the end of episode five. We're not doing any of that. We're just going to respond Good to what's him. happening. That is hard. The four of us as writers can tell you that is pretty freaking hard to do. Why is that hard to, to ta- do? Because you fall in love with your research. You've d- you put a lot of time into it. This is the, r- the direction you think things are going to go. To have the ability to say, you know what? That doesn't work. Right. 
You know, maybe an editor can tell you that, but when you yourself as a writer can look at that and say, hmm, this isn't working, I need to go in a completely different direction, and even though I will tell people why I tease this and we're not going there, I bet none of us could do that. I actually have to tell you, that is the thing about this that for me was a really pleasant takeaway. There are pieces of audio in Serial Season 1 that we hear, you know, like in the little audio montage Mm -hmm. that were never aired in Serial Season 1. Remember? (laughs) Coming up with the season. Right. Yeah. That were never aired and that were never acknowledged. Uh There were pieces of audio, you you see it all the time, where they're sort of like, this is going to happen, but then people feel like they can't, news happens, they just sort of- Not as a bait and switch, but as a- there's something better, and this this thing Not doesn't better, but like that this doesn't, thing work doesn't anymore. inform the the or this the story. doesn't yeah. work anymore. So let me just tell you uh, what I think, and then we'll talk about episode six. I think a bunch of news happened between episode five and six. One big piece of news happened, which we talked about last week, was that New York Times editorial about this show maybe being unethical. Yes, no. Maybe he just doesn't want to be seen. Yes, no. The other thing that happened, which Dan Taberski describes in the podcast, which is kind of horrifying, I imagine, in Dan Taberski's world is this L.A. police, you know, this Los Angeles uh, police officer, like because of the podcast, going to do this wellness check. And the third thing that happened was that a source, Richard Simmons spokesperson, who has not heretofore been a source for the podcast, agrees to talk to him. So if that source had talked to him three weeks ago, the reporting would have been different. And I think Dan Taberski did, in fact, do the right thing by saying all the shit I was going to do on this podcast would have been stupid to do now that I've actually talked to this primary source who's in touch with Richard Simmons. Like He didn't say that outright, but that's how it felt to me. Laura, you're a reporter. You've yes. had stories where I'm sure news has developed between what you plan to do and what you printed. Mm-hmm. Could you relate to the like, I can't do this now because of shit that's happened between then and now when I was planning to do this thing? Has that happened to you before? That made me dizzy. That's like all over the place. Yes. Because <laughs> this happened. Yeah. No, I could. Um, because it's, you know, I've definitely had stories where I've like, it's, and especially when it's a, you know, a high intensity story and then you send it in and then all of a sudden something changes and you're like, oh, quick change this or, oh, no, that's not right anymore. And it's definitely very stressful. You know, I had to wonder if this was sort of, you know, I hate to say it, but I kind of was wondering like with the whole wellness check, if it wasn't even necessarily the podcast, but maybe this was somehow orchestrated by Richard's people as a mm-hmm. way to put an end to this. I agree. I actually think there were some legal machinations behind the mm. scenes here. Interesting. Yeah. And I wondered if there was some legal issues going on that prompted this to finish up sooner than it was going to. I think there may have been legal machinations that kept the original tape that was going to be in episode six from airing. That's what I was wondering. I, I don't know. I think that's a stretch to guess that. I don't know. I, I couldn't help but think that when I heard the setup. I'm sorry you thought six. that. I think Dan would have said that. All right. No, I don't think he would have if he was going to get. I don't know. I felt like there was something behind the scenes going on that prompted this. Would Dan's got it based on his track record of transparency? I think he would say that. Now, so Toby, you said something for the last few weeks. We've been talking about missing Richard Simmons that I felt came to bear in this episode. You have said many times, Richard Simmons is probably depressive, or maybe there's something else going on. He's decided he's had enough. And has decided he doesn't want to deal with the world anymore and that it is his right and he can do that. And I feel like a huge theme of episode six was Dan 
coming to terms with exactly what it is that you'd been saying. Did did you feel that way? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the outcome was not surprising to me. I mean, I think I think the thing that changed was that it doesn't sound like he's suffering from a major depressive episode right this second. Mm-hmm. Like it sounds like he may have come out the other side of whatever the problem was but just you know, made the decision that it's not good for his health to put himself back in these situations. You sent me a long email today, as I mentioned. Uh, point yep. two, something that you said that I thought was very interesting is that your sense of the podcast, more than any other thing we reviewed, is that of all the podcasts we've talked about, this is the podcast that's most about the host. You know, I think the other podcasts that we've listened to where the host has been a strong presence, it's really been them sort of walking us through things that they're doing, mostly investigations, right? In this one, to me, where where the podcast really succeeds is as kind of a portrait of Dan. I, I think you get a pretty good look at him through this lens, and I feel as though, and partly because I think it was you know, a very misguided investigation on his part. But these misguided things give you a lot of insight because there's something that causes the person to to make that kind of decision. Now, wait, wait, I'm going to interrupt you for a second because Dan, I think, has been very transparent in that he is the portrait artist here. He was planning to do a documentary. And to me, he doesn't feel like one of Richard Simmons' true followers but that he initially was looking at this from the outside, like he was going to do a story about Richard and these people. So is what you're saying that he sort of got drawn in to the cult of Richard Simmons and that we're seeing that? You know, my very strong sense after I was done listening to the sixth episode was that a lot of this is his feeling that he deserves some kind of acknowledgement from Richard. And, I, and we can talk about the conversation with the publicist later. But that his saying that he owed his followers, you know, an explanation or a goodbye or or whatever, I, I think he counts himself among them. And I think he does a lot of things where he's trying to get Richard to acknowledge him and he's putting himself out as sort of the person who's most concerned, who's willing to do the most for him, which I think goes beyond a little bit of sort of a dispassionate portrait of somebody to it it seemed as though he was hungry for acknowledgement. I actually disagree with you. I and this is where I read your email and I sort of like I love you, Toby, but uh, (laughs) wasn't on board. I feel like and I don't know if you agree, Kevin, and I don't know if you agree, Laura, because we've all been sort of, I think, more recently, like in the media project based on real life media creation fields. I feel like Dan came into this planning to do a project about Richard Simmons and that he was projecting the feelings of the Richard Simmons people into this project and he was a surrogate. What do you think, Kevin? I I agree with Toby, but I think in the end, Toby and I are going to come to different conclusions about how we feel about the podcast. That's fine. I, I agree with him that I think that this is more about Dan's journey. I don't disagree with that at all. That I Dan, agree with like, that. And, we ta- and I think this is the closest we have come to replicating what Sarah Koenig right. achieved in Serial Season 1 I agree. about 
about being a transparent first person narrator that is both engaging right. and informative and transparent and moving the story along. And I think it shares that and I think I I, I would put it right behind serial and achieving that. So and, and I think it's Dan's story. It it really ends up not being you know, it's his, I agree with Richard, that. Richard is his his Maltese Falcon. I agree. He's, he is just searching after that. But I, I don't think he's the same as one of Richard Simmons' crews. No, he's not. No, he's not. No, no, Dan is not. The best comment we got on this came from Twitter, and I can't remember which one of our listeners tweeted it. I was looking on my phone this whole time. She said, maybe this isn't about finding Richard Simmons, but saying goodbye to him. That was Meredith. Meredith. Meredith, yeah. you rock. Toby, do you think like that that encapsulates it right there? It, it does sort of, but I don't think it's fully that. And so another, another aspect of why I kind of feel this is this whole sense that there was something nefarious going on. Mm. And I think that when you have an expectation that somebody is going to act in a certain way and they don't do that, it colors your view of things. So I think his expectation was that there was going to be some acknowledgement from Richard Simmons that he was stepping back. When that didn't come, he starts looking for explanations beyond like the, oh, I was just wrong and that's not something he's going to do. So it's, you know, his suspicions about when Richard Simmons was like Skyping into the Today Show and he's like, well, you know, in a movie, he'd have a gun to his head. It's like, why didn't he just go there? It's like, well, you know, my sense is because he didn't think it was healthy to go there for whatever he's he's dealing with. And then that bizarre, like little piece of audio of like a beach I think it was in the last episode. The two yeah. second. I mean that that was like that that's like a Rorschach test. I'm it's sorry, like that was can, Tannis right there. It was pretty you, much. <laughs> I mean, you can just you can just read you can read anything into that. If you were like, this is on their honeymoon, the happiest point of their life, you'd be like, oh wow, that sounds like a nice beach. You know, this is when he was super depressed. Ooh, that sounds like you know. So, so I kind of I kind of feel like there was this, like this this sense that if he's not acting the way that I was kind of expecting him to act or want him to act, that there's some something underhanded going on. I, I think that's the, the genesis of the whole thing, because there was nothing. I, I guess I just kind of feel in my gut like Dan is more dispassionate than you give him credit for. I feel like he was as, more of a step removed from this than the podcast sounds, and I feel like that's what makes it so good. I have kind of another little bit of a t different take on this. Um, we're talking about Dan's journey. And, and I do think that he was a little bit more removed. But I think what I took away from this is the relationships and the type of relationships that Richard Simmons had with people. Everybody that he had a relationship with felt like he really was invested in them, that he mm -hmm. was really their friend. And I feel like even Dan felt like that, even though he wasn't as, you know, over the top as of the Slimmons people or the people in the cruise. He's like, I'm friends with Richard. I've been to his house. My husband and I have been there. Like he too felt that same sort of magnetic pull of Richard Simmons that the other people did. He may not have gone in as far, but I think when we come out the other side, it sort of shows how many people had that same feeling. And and for me, how exhausting it must have been to have to be on in that way with every person that you interacted with. 
I don't disagree. I mean, I, I, I think that a lot of the conversation, though, in the past week, and then especially with this episode, I've seen a lot of people say that they thought episode six was disappointing. You know, the conclusion where we didn't get all of, like, the uh, cloak and dagger, lowering <laughs> things over the wall, what's wrong with Morrow stuff was disappointing. I'm going to, like, put it out there in my heart on my sleeve. I cried a little bit when I was listening to episode six. A lot of people tweeted us that. Yeah, yeah, because not only did I feel like Dan sort of got to the heart of, like, it sounds like a depressed guy, which, by the way, I never disagree with that might be it. I was worried more about addiction, but I completely agreed it could be depression. Mm-hmm. He got through it, and then when he got through it, he realized, like, I'm happier not having to get out of bed and do all of these things every day. And it also made me feel good to hear that Richard was probably fine. But also just sort of hearing that old tape that Dan played at the beginning. And I think he did that. I felt like that was very much a reaction to the New York Times story when he went back into the archives and like, here's Henry taping me to be in this project when I'm explaining why I want to do this. And his whole thing is, this is a story that I'm interested in. And there's this disconnect between people and how they think Richard feels and the fact that he's completely disappeared. And that was the whole genesis of this. It wasn't like you don't have a personal right to disappear. It was that... There are thousands of people who feel like they have not just a celebrity, you know, relationship with you, but like a personal relationship with you. And that is different. And I don't don't think so. I I completely disagree. Now, well, go ahead, Toby. Tell me why you disagree. Because these people didn't have a personal relationship with them. The ones that he called every week didn't have a personal relationship with them? I mean, I think there's there's a few people, but they don't have... You know, they're friends at a certain level. The ones he picked up every week for exercise class and drove there? No, Toby's yeah. right. A lot of people right. thought I mean, they, they had a relationship, right, Toby? Right. They, they didn't invite him over to their house. No, no, I don't disagree you with know, you. I'm just, I'm I think, just I, I think the people, I think one of the things about this podcast is Dan never got to the inner circle. Mm-hmm. You know, the inner circle until the very end when his publicist talks. But until that point... Everybody he's talking to was either used to be in the inner circle and is now bitter about it, so willing to like cast aspersions on the people who are still there. So that's Moro. Or they're people who he saw frequently and was probably fond of, but was he close to them? I mean, it, it doesn't seem that way. Mm-hmm. Like, I thought the interview that he had with the publicist, whose name I can't remember, I thought the publicist was was extremely cutting to Dan. And I thought Dan was pretty open with, did he get my package? Does he listen to the podcast? And the guy's like, he may have listened to like a couple minutes. Has he, has he been heartened by all these people who have like, who have come out and are supportive of him? And he's just like, no, this has not been a good experience for him. Well, the police did go to his house, Toby, which could not have been a good experience for him. That was very cringe-worthy. well. No kidding, but I, but I mean, how pissed would you be if like somebody who you barely knew saying stuff about you and thinking that your family was holding you hostage, and then the cops showed up? You mean like if like, people yeah, from Canada like started saying that Kevin Flynn's got a lot of rage, you need to go check on his yeah. Wife. Well, yeah, that was so very, think- very, very cringeworthy. Do we all agree to hear that the police did a wellness check as a result of this podcast? If that's exactly what it was for. And it was a bunch of listeners calling LAPD and saying, or the police guy himself listening to the podcast. And that's cringeworthy, right? I still remain suspect that somebody else sent the police there. I'm going to stick with that. All right. No, I'm okay with that. Can I continue? You can. You may. So then he's like, Do you want to hear my take on things? And to this, I think I, I felt as though 
he was all but saying this right at Dan. Like, and he basically says, you know, there's all these relationships where people were very invested in Richard and thought they were friends of his and were close to him, and it wasn't reciprocated. That was not the deal. It wasn't a two-way thing. It seemed to me, at least, very clear that he was saying to Dan, you're doing all this stuff, and it's basically just making his life miserable, and he's not really friends with you. And but he's not, I, I thought not that friends was, with you, but he's also not friends with the woman from with Nebraska. With any of these other people. He's not friends with the woman he used to pick up every week. He's not friends with all the people that felt like they were friends. He had way right. more to shut off than your typical celebrity. I will agree that, yes, Dan is right. It is unusual because you can you know, just slink off and say, I want to be out of the spotlight and just say, I'm no longer going to be... Ringo Starr, I'm going to be Richard Starkey, and I'm going to be Dwight Reginald, and I'm going to be Declan McManus, and I'm going to be Gordon Sumner. I'm not doing going to be any of these. Ooh, you just named like all these like Elvis Costello slash yeah, right. Sting slash. Right. Real... right, it's easy for me. I'm just not going to do that. I'm not right. going to tour. He ha- he built so much outside of the spotlight. He had to, uh, it's so much stuff Slim-ins. he had unplugged. Clemens and all these people that he called in order Taking to shut it off, house, he yeah. had to shut a lot down, which is which was what was really intriguing about this in the first place. Right. But Dan may have come to the right conclusion. He just decided, yeah, I want out. And there's a whole it's way more complicated for him than it was for anybody else. And he just I don't want to be Richard Simmons anymore. Right. So here to me is like an easy solution, right? Mm-hmm. Richard Simmons, he didn't do anything wrong as far as I'm concerned. He never, and I never felt he did anything wrong. I feel like Dan, his whole point is saying that, like, if Richard Simmons had spent five grand to get one of his people over a period of three days to make 500 phone calls and just say, hey, just FYI, Richard has decided to really retreat from the spotlight and he's not going to be doing this, that, or this anymore. Hmm. PR wise, you are a PR person. Yeah, would that not have shut things down? And that would. I don't know. I think it's harder. I think it's. I think on a personal level, it's easier to just to do the ghost and and (laughs) to ghost all those people. There was a whole podcast about it. Yeah, but we're talking hundreds and hundreds of people to call all of them up and say, "Look, I don't give a shit anymore." Listen, I still love the podcast. I'm sorry, but I I love the podcast too. Go around the horn. I don't think well, it's unanimous decision. Well, one of the decision. things that Toby said, and I'm not going to let Toby answer this first, is I feel like he's gotten a lot of the mic the last few minutes, which by the way, there's nothing wrong with that. But one of the things that Toby said to me, which was the most interesting thing that he said, no offense, Toby, everything you said was interesting, but to me this was the thing that stuck out, was of all of the podcasts that we've talked about on this show, Serial included, Missing Richard Simmons comes the closest to being a piece of art. Now, uh, Laura, I would love your take. You have been all in. Your family has been all in. Yes. How do you react to this idea that this was a piece of art with all of the things that, you know, that that brings? I mean, I think for me, this podcast was told in such a way, which we've talked about before, that, you know, I couldn't wait for the next episode to come out. There was cliffhangers. It was just told. It was so, the story was so fascinating. Aside from the one episode that I wasn't a huge fan of where I thought we were hearing from Lenny and we didn't. Episode four, um, yes. Yeah, but it was just, it was told in such a compelling way that even if the story didn't go where you hoped it was going to go, the characters were fascinating. The audio clips we had of them talking were like really great. And it was just something that you could enjoy listening to and appreciate 
just for listening to it. So it sounds like you're still thumbs up. Yes, I'm still thumbs up. My son was hoping that Dan was going to go undercover as the police officer, but that did not happen. (laughs) So, (laughs) but I'm still thumbs up. All right. Well, Toby, I want to hear your reasoning for the art thing. And then I also want to hear your thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs sideways on Missing Richard Simmons. You know, I think more than anything that we've listened to, I think the insights into human nature are a little bit deeper than what we've run into before. And part of it is, you know, it's it's a slightly different thing that was going on here than the usual true crime stuff. But I just thought it would have been interesting to have at the beginning been along and said, I'd like to write a book about you making this podcast. <laughs> and this is meta because, as I, it gets. I, because I do think it, without sort of directly necessarily talking about it, gave a pretty compelling portrait of things that kind of define sort of where we are right now as a society, uh, where we were, you know, not like a long time ago, but like in the 70s and 80s. I think you got a really good sense of Dan and about as good a sense of Richard Simmons as you could in this kind of format at this length. So I just kind of felt like it had sort of a, a little bit more, more of a deeper insight into sort of basic questions, life and America and, and all that stuff without getting too deep. So would you, I mean, here's my question for you. I mean, I know that you've had, I think, the most reticence about Missing Richard Simmons of the panel of the, the other than three of us. So like, do you recommend people listen to it? Do you think it's thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs sideways? Like, I, I, I kind of want to know, like, do you like Missing Richard Simmons or don't you? You know, I think if you take the fact that I think that he shouldn't have done it out of the equation, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I think it's well-crafted. And again, I admire how he did things. And I think the intelligence with which he did them, to me, just doing it was, was not a great choice. But uh, that being said, you know, thumbs up or thumbs down, you know, I, I, I kind of give it a strong one of each. Mm-hmm. I'm like wishy-washy, but where usually like I'm wishy-washy is like, eh, I kind of liked it. I kind of didn't like it. I'm wishy-washy and like I really, really liked it. And I also really, really disagree with the, the basic. The basic premise of it. The basic, the basic reason for doing it. So <laughs> I'm strongly divided. Well, that's how art happens, right? Yeah. Right. No, I. it's totally. I think the reasons he did it were good and right. I think he was going in to tell an interesting story. I think he's way more dispassionate than uh, we may have assumed going into it. And then it got really interesting as he was doing it. Very similar to Serial Season 1 in that way. I don't think Sarah Koenig thought when she started off telling a true crime story that would turn into a phenomenon that would spin off other podcasts and other investigations. I think Missing Richard Simmons tapped something that has not been tapped since Serial Season 1. I agree with Toby. It's a piece of art. It's commentary. Beautifully crafted. I was not disappointed with Finale. Sorry, listeners who were. I think that it was really, really smart for him to react to the news and not play tape that was irrelevant when different news broke. So I loved it. Dan Taberski, applause to you. Thumbs up. Still love you, man. I feel things when I read the think pieces, but love the podcast. Can't help but love it. So, Kevin, what do you think? Missing Richard Simmons, thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs sideways is a body of work. Yeah, I agree with you. I think Dan is a great storyteller. I'm a thumbs up. I thought this was uh, very well done. 
If you haven't listened to it after all this time, you should go back and do so. You should. And you don't have the same reticence that Toby has. No. And I pre- actually really appreciate Toby's insight on that. So do I. And I think he articulated that very well. He liked what he heard very much, but was still kind of uneasy about the concept in and of itself. And I think that that's, that's, our- that's a valid point. <laughs> and I think we've, I can't say it's the only podcast we've ever kind of wondered, like, why the fuck are they doing this? Except this one's really good. This one turned out to be really good. That's right. That's right. All right. Now it's time to move on to my favorite part of this podcast, a little something I like to call The, the Crime, Crime of, of the, the Week. week. <laughs> so we all know that mean tweets can hurt. I think we've all felt that, right? <laughs> yes. But who knew they could also be used to assault someone? Literally. That's what police are saying about a Maryland man who sent an animated gift to a Dallas journalist with the intention of triggering a painful epileptic seizure. A grand jury indicted John Rain Ravello after he allegedly sent a strobe-like image to Newsweek reporter Kurt Eichenwald via Twitter. Investigators found other messages that proved Ravello knew of Eichenwald's condition and sent the tweet with the intention of causing a seizure to harm or even kill him. This was just after Eichenwald wrote a story about President Trump's medical records. Now, Eichenwald says he was incapacitated for several days and had trouble speaking for weeks. The grand jury says that the tweet was used as a deadly weapon. The charge comes with a hate crime enhancement because it targeted Eichenwald's disability. Mm-hmm. This story is insane. Wow. I was I was on Twitter when that happened. Like, I follow Kurt Eichenwald. Yeah, so do I. And, uh, yeah, it was definitely weird. All right, but uh, let's do it crime writer style and, like, take it back a couple of steps. Have you ever endured pain and suffering at the hands of social media? And if so, how? Laura Bricker, I'm going to start with you. Well, a couple things. I mean, the endless Candy Crush uh, saga requests <laughs> are enough to cause me severe yes. pain and suffering. The recent political climate where I've had to block people who are just so, um, you know. Passionate. Yes. And or insane. (laughs) Yes, I will say that. Um, And then, you know, I have to say when you get like those really weird um, messages on social media from people from like junior high school that you really don't (laughs) want to talk to anymore and just brings you back to the trauma of junior high school to relive, I'm all set. Can we be friends now? All right, Toby, what is the most pain and suffering you have endured at the hands of social media? I don't know if I've suffered very much from social media. The most recent thing was somebody said that when she saw a picture of me, it ruined the whole thing. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, uh... What were you expecting? <laughs> and then she she sent a picture of like this maniac who's on some of these UFO shows. <laughs> and uh, so I was like, yeah, well, I I can see where you'd be disappointed. That I don't look like that. I'm just a and then somebody else was dad. like, oh, I always picture Toby from the West Wing. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what? Too literal. So, so anyway, um, yeah. Hey Toby, would you rather be Toby from the West Wing or Toby from the Office? I've always wondered that. Uh, those are my only two choices. <laughs> or Toby from uh, Alex Haley's Roots. <laughs> I I would well, it's like two losers or a slave. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe uh, wait, wait. There's the one from the office. Oh, and the one from the West Wing. Yeah. Ah, yeah, the one from the West Wing. Yeah, he went to prison. I'd go. I'd go for the. All power. right, go ahead. <laughs> so, uh, Kevin, uh, have you ever been irreparably harmed on social media? Yeah, there was this lady who sent me some photographs. <laughs> 
and it caused some propriasm. Oh, stop it. Yeah, after four hours, I had to contact my physician. Oh, stop it. Yeah, it was very painful. Oh, that's disgusting. But not as disgusting as my high school music teacher sharing photos of me from 11th grade on Facebook. <laughs> oh. All right, we should probably end it on that note. Before we do, though, Laura, uh, the perennial question. That sounded question. way more felonious than it really was. It was yeah, not felonious. It was <laughs> full of another acne. crime of the week. Oh, full my goodness. All right, so Laura Bricker, uh, the perennial question. Yes, bangs. Hi, me and my high school bangs, not a good look. And thank you for pointing out the bangs, Kevin. Now people are going to Google search. Thanks oh a lot. Boy. Your high school bangs. Laura, <laughs> hashtag Rebecca's high school bangs. Laura Bricker. Whose photo comes up? <laughs> do we have a cat of the week this week, Laura Bricker? We do. It's from one of our favorite Twitter followers, Scott in Baltimore, and his cat nice. Lucy. He's always, you know, fun to tweet with. And his cat Lucy reminds me of a cat that I had when I was like five. Um, and she's with the vaults, which my poor husband has been trying to read since last summer. <laughs> And keeps getting distracted by fires and tragedies. So, um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Way to paint Stuff that happens. Damn it. Damn you, Laura's husband, for doing your job. I know. He's like, someday I'm going to finish Toby's book. <laughs> Scott Carberry, your cat is cat of the week. Congratulations. We love you on Twitter, man. Toby Ball, uh, if our listeners want to follow you on Twitter and perhaps express your disappointment in what you look like in real life, how can they find you there? <laughs> At Toby Ball NH. And Laura Bricker, if our listeners want to tweet to you about things related to Richard Simmons' crime and uh, the feline persuasion, how can they find you on Twitter? At Laura Bricker. And Kevin Flynn, if our listeners want to tweet with you, hashtag Rebecca's High School Bangs, how can they find you? <laughs> I'm at Kevin P. Flynn. And hashtag he, Rebecca's Old Bangs. Hashtag Rebecca's High School Bangs. Yeah, I'm hashtag your new your current bangs. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> and if you want to find me on Twitter or Instagram, you can find me at Reb Lavoy. Our show is also on Twitter at Crime Writers On, and you can always send us an email at crimewriterson at gmail.com, which, by the way, I realize this week sounds very unprofessional. We'd probably be like podcast at crimewriterson.com. No, we are crimewriterson at gmail.com. Don't forget to head over to our website where you can sign up for our newsletter and buy stuff using our Amazon link. Before you close your podcast app, leave us an iTunes review. It makes a big difference. And check out our sister podcast. These are their stories, the Law & Order podcast. Our handsome line producer, his name is Henry Lavoy. Our theme music was performed by the New York Sky Jazz Ensemble and used with their permission. This show was recorded in Square Egg Studio at Partners in Crime Media, a.k.a. the closet in our basement, formerly known as Studio C. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. We're done. Boom. Can we just do the um, standard boring breakfast audio, like volume check? I'm going to start with you, Toby. Uh, I had a bunch of beers. All right. What about you, Laura? I want to know more about what's happening in Toby's world. My goodness. Um, <laughs> I had some toast um, with some of that awfully addictive Biscoff cookie spread. What about you, Kevin? Uh, I had the uh, raw pumping heart of a deer. <laughs> How was it? It was good. I had it. I had it spread on a croissant, with a little bit of Nutella. It was delicious. <laughs> you are now a man. Are you guys ready? I'm ready. We're all ready. All right. Sorry. <coughs> all right. Stop coughing. You ready? Mm-hmm. All right. I'm Rebecca Lavoy, and this is Crime Writers on the podcast. But. <laughs>
Partners in Crime Media.